0: You're listening to audio from Plankrow Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various
1: ministries, please visit our website at www.plankerharvest.org. All right, good morning all, glad you're here. I'm going to use this microphone because I do got some kind of bug going. And if I cough into that little one, you will all hate me. We do got a men's Bible study going too on Thursdays at 6 p.m., Um, it's real good. We're just looking at, um, it's called the guide to authentic biblical manhood. I believe that's what it's called, but it's really good. We're having a good time together. It's probably eight or 10 guys there. It's a good time for men to just come together and, and enjoy one another's company. And, um, Bill is always good to bring donuts and stuff. So that makes it even better. And then, um, that voice of the martyrs action pack, we know where they're going to go this year. So what they are is they're generally for people that are um, they 've been kicked out of their country generally for being Christians, and so they end up in these refugee camps and a lot of times they need things like blankets and warm clothes, a ball for the children, a tarp so they can make a shelter and things like that so it 's a really good thing that we 're doing there um, it it 's a little more expensive than Samaritan's purse, but I think the need that it meets is greater than just giving Christmas presents to children I think it 's a lot more uh, helpful on for intense needs like that of suffering of people in the out in the weather so um, if you want to talk to Madeline about that or if you want to be a part of one or if you want to pack yourself up one personally or if you want to be part of getting it all put together to ship out, it's it's a little bit of a pain and the church is going to pay for all the shipping and we'll buy all the stuff that individuals haven't bought already. We'll make sure we got plenty of stuff to send. We sent them last year. Um, it, it has a, It's really a really useful product and a really good response. And I'm glad to see Frank and Janice here. Make sure you go and hug them and don't hug Janice too hard though. It, it makes her bones hurt. But. Give her a little hug. I'm glad you're back, Frank, and I'm glad you're feeling good enough to get here, brother. It's good. It's good to see you. Frank's been in the hospital in and out and, and um, back in the saddle again. It's good to see him. I want to make sure my phone is turned off here. All right. So our, our scripture we're trying to look at, and I think we're ready to go to our next book next week. I want to kind of go over, just kind of hit the high points again of what we've been working on about the, the initiation of the New Testament church there in the book of Acts. Um, but we're going to look at it from Romans now in Romans chapter 15, where Paul is kind of taking it to the next level. So in Acts, you know, we got the very beginning of it and like we've talked about so many things that we do as church people, a lot of what we know, or we think we know, we know because it's just what we always did. We didn't really check into it for ourselves. We just did it because that's what our parents did and our grandparents did and so on. And so that's why we do it. But the key verse, I think, for this Romans 15 is that verse 6, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's getting all of God's people on the same sheet of music doing the will of God, whatever that calling is to be. And I pray it's been helpful for you to be reminded of the purposes of gathering together. And, you know, in our American culture, it's a once a week. A lot of people, we just do it once a week. Uh, maybe twice a week maybe we come on a wednesday night they have prayer service or something like that but we don't we are not you go to these third world countries i, I pray you'll go on a mission trip with us we'll go on some this year we weren't able to last couple of years last year because my wife was uh has been so sick but in the years prior you know then we had covid and so it's been a couple of years since we've been to peru since we've been to africa this is zambia africa in this front picture been there uh, we have a pastor and a church there um my man, and hey, stand up there, Andrew. Well, I got, this is my shirt I won in Africa. So each church has its own um, colors, and in their fellowship, whatever, would have their thing. So it's kind of like a big gang thing, man. You go to one church, they're like, oh yeah, we're the Baptists from over here in this one. There's more bright yellow or whatever. But uh, that lady's actually wearing it, one like it, she's like grinding corn or something in that picture there. And so we got Africa and we got Peru there in the next picture. And we're going to kind of look at those today as we're looking at neighbors and neighborhoods. Um, you know, we don't, all, we don't all live the same way, but people still need the gospel. If you want to go on one of these trips, we'll probably go to Peru this year, probably go to Zambia again this year uh Guatemala uh we got a trip probably to Nicaragua will be a real short trip so if you're any of those and you say well I can't speak any language but English Africa's a good place to go but you're going it's going to take a minute to get there and a minute to get back so you better figure about 12 days on that one it's a long plane travel uh Peru uh we can get by with English there because we have uh, good translators um they speak Spanish if you know Spanish just enough Spanish to greet and things like that that that'll get you by in a lot of ways And um, Guatemala, same thing. Nicaragua, we got good interpreters there. we got a good work going on there. So anyway, if you want to go on those things, the first thing you got to do is get a passport. Can't go without a passport. Takes you about six, eight weeks, and you can have one in your hot little hand, and you can go with us. Um, It will change the way you view Christianity. I promise you it will. You only know what you know. It's not your fault. It's not your fault that you... I I don't know how you were raised. I just remember when I was in... um, I think I was in like seventh or eighth grade. We went to, uh, I went to school that summer and all these kids were talking about going on family vacations and doing that kind of thing. And I was like, huh, not everybody lives like we live. Some people go on vacations in the summer, you know, whatever. We didn't do that. We just worked. Dad was big on working. We just worked during the summer, you know? And so it was just, you know, going to South America, going to Africa and seeing how uh, Christians worship how they are completely dependent on God for their every need, it will completely change the way you view um, the God of creation, the one that you you claim to praise. It will completely change your view of him. It really will. And you will see that there's people that love God and have nothing, but they have the love of God that's greater far, like the song that we sang, than tongue or pen could confess. They do. They just have a lot deeper love for God, and they have a lot more reliance on him. There is no money. There is no way to buy yourself out of trouble, and I've told you this story before. It's one of my favorites. But um, uh, in a church, a man came in, and his face was really inflamed. And uh, he said, "Could I?" I thought he was handicapped or, or something, or dismembered or disfigured or something. And he and he spoke okay, and he said, "Can I get the the people with uh, the the healers from your church to come and pray for me?" And um, it was in Peru. Three dollars a day, average income at that time. And so they just, the pastor, he just said, hey, where's the people with the spiritual gift of healing? And they called those people up, and they laid hands on them. And so, um, and then he was like, all right, thanks. And then he left. Because there is no doctors, and there is no medicine. But they do have reliance on the faith that the Bible tells us to call for the elders and ask them to anoint you, and you will be healed. And so he went there with that faith. And I mean, I've never seen anything like that. Have you? You see that happen a lot here. You see people pulling up, asking for people to pray for their healing. We don't see that a lot, right? But the Bible tells us that it's possible. And so it helps you to see that in person and to recognize that it is possible and that we can rely on God and that his word is faithful and true and he is holy and just and he will do what he says he will do. So he needs to use God's people for that. And you can be one of those peoples. So it's not, like I said, it's not like we don't know these things. It's just that we get busy. And we're really proud of being busy people in America. It's one of the things that we really kind of pat ourselves on the back for, you know. You ask any woman, oh, I'm just busy. I'm run to death. I'm taking the kids here and there and whatever. And in our busyness, we we put God right over here. He fits in a little tiny bit maybe on Sunday. Here and there, I'm listening to some Christian music or I'm listening to some preaching or something while I'm doing the laundry or, or while Renetta's doing the laundry. Thank God. Come back, Renetta. The laundry's piling up. No, no, she'll be back this week. Um, but, um, uh, no, well, we're doing other things, and we have it playing in the background, but our focus isn't on hearing. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Our focus isn't on hearing. I told my son last night, he's in he's in college down here, in, in, he's in Miami, actually, um, working on getting his kind of doctorate um, towards nursing and, and nurse uh, anesthetist down the road here. And uh, he's just run to death. I mean, he's studying all the time, and he's got, you know, his time at the hospital. And so he gets very little time. He goes, well, I'm going to go to church, Dad. But, um, you know, the church wasn't that good. And I was like, well, go there and rest. It can be a place of rest. So if you fall asleep in here, I understand. It may be my preaching, but you may just need to rest. We run ourselves to death with busyness, thinking what we're doing stuff. We're like the little gerbil on the wheel. And we're just running, running, running. We're not going nowhere. But the Lord of all creation has called you to a place of rest and rest, rest in him, and if you've got to come here to get it, well, then, by all means, come and receive that, okay? But without focused intake, there'll be too little spiritual food leading to growth, and what we need is ongoing spiritual growth in the individual person, and that's what prepares us for the negative things of life that come, and it's going to come. It says, the wise man built his house upon the rock, and when the floods came, and when the storms came, and when the water is going to come, But his house was built on a rock so he could take it. So you got to get that growth. It's what's needed for us to be able to stand up against the wiles and schemes of the evil one and just the disappointments of life in general. So don't get too busy um, because when you do, you can get where you can't keep your head above water. And when your head goes below water, they call that drowning. And when you drown enough, they call that dead. And you can't even reach your hand up enough to let the Lord pull you out of the flood, right? you got to get it, you got to figure it out before then. When the flood comes that bad, you, you need to have it figured out before then, you know. So we've been in Acts those last couple of weeks, and I just wanted to look at this example here in Romans, uh, Acts 2, 41 through 43. But we, we learned those principles. First, they were baptized into faith. So they accepted Christ. They were baptized into the fellowship. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, breaking bread and in prayer, Right? And it was after they did those things and they were continuous in the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer, that and the apostles' doctrine. Those are all important. Their, their, their doctrine was correct. Their fellowship was correct. The breaking bread, the spending time together with other believers was correct. And in prayers together, that was correct. And then they saw the miraculous things happen. And we saw that it wasn't necessarily the miracles we're thinking of, people raised from the dead and things like that. But it was more like they had the they had the persistence to stand against the persecution. They had the endurance to hold in there and and watch Stephen be stoned to death and Stephen see the vision and things like that. So, you know, be careful what you wish for. But I do pray for those things. I don't pray for persecution, though I know persecution's coming because I can see our government do it to people that don't agree with what they say. I don't look forward to persecution, but I do look forward to The vision of Christ sitting high and lifted up and the robe of his uh, train filling the temple. I want to see that. Isaiah got to see it. John got to see it. Stephen got to see it. I want to see that. But it's going to take persecution most likely for me to see it in this life. And the other kind of persecution is the persecution unto death. And we read that this morning there in in, um, Psalms where there's a time where it would be better to be the guy that's opening the door the doorkeeper of the temple, it would be better to be that guy than be anywhere else. And so as long as I'm in heaven, even if I'm the doorknob guy, that'll be enough. And I'll get to see the train from wherever the door is. I might have to look a minute, but I'll be able to see it as long as I get there, as long as you get there. I want you to be there. Okay, so Romans 15, we need to read that. And we need to read the whole thing, I think. It's good to read the whole thing in context, 15:1 through 33, and uh, I think I'm going to ask somebody to come up and read. I don't think I got enough throat for that. Um, let me get a good. Uh, John, uh, Jim, would you care to read again, man? You did it really great this morning on your reading. I hate to. I should have warned him. Come on up here, Jim, and read that. Romans 15, 1 through 33. I'm sorry. My, my throat is just really irritated.
0: I'm sorry about that. We then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves let each of us please his neighbor for his good leading to edification for even christ did not please himself but as it is written the reproach of those who reproach you fell on me for whatever things were written before were written from our for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may, with one mind and one mouth, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, And he who shall rise is to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you, because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. In mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now, no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey, And to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who were in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen.
1: Thank you, sir. (laughs) (coughs) Okay. So to start with, um, the, sp- the flow of um, spiritual growth had gone beyond the individual believer. Here we are, Ever how many years after this book of Acts, right? We can say, someone, what would you say there, Kevin? Are we 20 years later? Maybe 15 years, 20 years later, somewhere in like that. It's a ways from the book of Acts, from the, the day of Pentecost. We're a ways out now. And what we're seeing is this overflow now, so we had the individual that flew, that flowed into the fellowship, and it's now this, this accepted, obvious next step that would require missionary journeys, um, ministries of the saints, uh, use of spiritual giftedness, um, evangelism, and things like that, to kind of a, a natural outpouring, a natural stair step, here's the deal. You would not have received Christ, however you received Christ, whatever age you were, or however you got there, you would have never gotten it had he given it to the disciples, had Christ given it to the disciples, the disciples received it, they kept it for themselves or they initiated that first little church, and then that was that. If that had happened, if it, had, if it was just for the disciples or for a generation right there, it would have never made it to us. Every one of us, believe it or not, can trace our salvation. You know how they do the DNA thing? If you could figure it out, if you could meet the right person who knew the right person and they, and they had left a list of the person that led them to Christ all the way back, we could figure out, you, were one, you are of one of the 12 disciples. You ever think about that? You're one of them. You're just way down the road. That's where it came from. And then they gave it to someone. That someone received it, they began to grow spiritually, began to mature, then they gave it to someone else, and that guy gave it to someone else, and it's a giant pyramid scheme, and it's worked, and that was God's design, right? One tells two, tells four, tells eight, and before long, the whole world has heard the gospel. I just read that... Right now, there's less than 100 languages left where they don't have at least some part of the scriptures in their language. There's only like 100 really small tribal type languages left where they don't have some. The world has been reached with the gospel. There is some that haven't heard the word yes, But for the most part, the world has received the gospel As they, from 12 guys way back here. The world has received the gospel. All nations have heard the gospel. That was God's plan. It's amazing. It worked. The pyramid scheme works. It really does. So the flow, this is what I wanted you to see. It started with this individual group of 12, and then it went to these others. And now eventually it flows off onto this guy who was a murderer, Paul. And then he receives the gospel, and he really runs with it. I always kind of want, you know, I brought Kevin up last week, but, um, you know, he was one of those guys that when he first heard this, this series that we were taught at for a time, this, this series called Downline, and he just, it just really grabbed him. And he was you know, kind of this wild man when he was young. Then he, received, he hears this downline. Then he receives the gospel, and it just, something clicked, and it turned him on. And he's like, this is what I need to do. And so then he hears it, and then he's like, well, I'm going to get some more of this. And so he goes to their little seminary thing and gets that piled in there. And then he's building on top of it, and he begins to do the things that the ministry calls him to do, speaking to others of the gospel, growing spiritually himself, learning the word of God, and so on. And then he becomes this developed man later on that has a lot greater influence than how he began. That's Paul on a lot bigger scale. So the next step was, was reaching the world, but it started with reaching their neighbors. That's what I wanted to point out. You see there in the Peru, it says Samaria, but that's actually Lima, Peru. And really, that's not like the super crowded part. But everybody lives, so there's a family, and each one of them holds pretty much on any one of those buildings. People don't generally own a whole floor. They would just own a whole one space in that, in that building, you know. And they are literally just piled on top of each other. And so, you know, everyone has their beefs, right? Imagine you're arguing with your wife, right, like you do. I know you you think your neighbor knows what you guys are talking about when you live in that? Everybody knows everybody's business. Everybody. That's that's how this gospel went. It wasn't like us where we have this little piece of land around us, you know, and we can kind of isolate ourselves from the neighbors. And then I think it was Audrey telling me, she's like, when they were going to disagree, when her and her husband were going to disagree, she's like, Go to the garage. We're gonna go out there and we're gonna go duke it out in the garage, you know, and we'll come back in and be at peace, you know, in front of the kids or whatever. You don't have that option when you live in one of them little holes. In the African setup right there, those little mud huts, they don't have doors. And so, um and there's a number of people that live in the one little mud hut with the thatcher. They still live like that. It blows me away. You would think, I mean, that picture's not five years old. I mean, they still live that way. Not everyone, but a large percentage of Africa lives that way still. And everybody knows everything, everything about you. And so to become a believer, it's not like being a believer here where you can get by what we used, they used to call it lifestyle evangelism. It's not like because you keep your yard mowed real nice and they never see you publicly beating your wife or children that you're like, oh, he's got a different life than mine. He, he must have something special. I wonder what it is. And you lead them to Christ by It's not that. It's their entire life has changed, and the neighbors can tell because they're all in the hole right beside the neighbor. They know. They know what's going on. The community was a lot more uh, whatever. I don't know what the word is. Interwoven where they, could, they really knew what was going on. They saw, so, so every city dweller and every third world um, liver is practically the same. They all exist in that kind of existence, and that's how it was. I'm not saying these people lived on top of each other like that necessarily, because there was people that had farms and things like that. But in general, it got past neighbor to neighbor. And then we also think in our fellowship, we say, well, you know, we get a couple families together, we should plant a church. And so we think, well, where are we going to buy some land that we could build a building? It wasn't that. It was the church of Kevin Himbury, And then it was the church over there of Charlie Alva with him and his neighbors. And then the church of, of whoever, Billy Smith over there. Because you just got the people together. They had no money. You meet in homes, you meet in in the dining room, and you sit around and you speak the word of God. And then maybe, maybe by God's blessing, you get a part of a letter from Peter or John or something. You can read it to one another and begin to grow spiritually that way, you know. It was, it's a different, a different design than we have in our minds of what church was supposed to be. So, and here's another thing. Um, God's design for men, according to the Bible, according to the Garden of Eden and Noah And Adam and um, the Israelites wasn't for us to live like Peru right there. The first men that built cities were Cain and Lamech. And if you remember, those guys were both manslayers. Those were the guys that wanted to build cities. They wanted to take control of other men, get them under their control, and they were manslayers. And even today, you're much more likely to be man in the city than you are in the country, right? God's design for men was to, to take care of the earth and and be fruitful and multiply and by the sweat of your brow, grow food from the earth and so on. And man says, well, I can do it better. I'm going to move to cities. And I'm going to build cities and they're going to they're elevate the, the person of the man and look what I've built and look at this thing. It's better than what God could do. And God said, well, look at the redwood tree. Beat that. And they can't. But they try. So... So it's, a, it's, it's hard for us to... God, is allow, God makes a way to work either in the cities or in the country. Both ways people can receive the gospel. But I do say in many cases it's very difficult for people to see the creative hand of God in the cities. It's blocked out. It's blocked out the earth. It's blocked out the grass. It's blocked out everything. And they can't see God's hand on it. But they can see it in the country. It's been my experience that country people are much more open to the gospel than city people in many ways. That aside... So the solution for murder and violence and and terror and rape and pillaging and all those things, you know what the solution is? It's the gospel. If you want the place that you live to be better, well, then evangelize the lost. Tell the people around you of the hope that you have within you, and then they have the opportunity to change from a fallen and vicious man like Cain or Lamech, and they can become a man of God like Noah or Moses or someone like that or David, right? but they got to hear the gospel. And so it works through the neighborhood. I need to go talk to my neighbors first. We're really we're really nervous about that. My neighborhood I live there in the greater Creston area here in Crossville. <laughs> um, the greater Creston metropolis over there by the drag strip. Um, it's it's a lot better than it was 30 years ago for sure. There was a lot of kind of drug heads and ruffians up in there, hooligans rogues and thieving rascals that were breaking into your outbuildings and stealing all your stuff. And it's gotten a lot better, and and I can't explain why, but I will say there's a lot of Christians that live around there, and a lot of them are really, uh, if you know Dr. Barry, he's not here, um, Donna and uh, Pierre Barry, they were really diligent, I appreciate it, on the road up behind my house to go house to house very regularly and check on all those people and just remind them, hey man, Sunday... I want to hit a church somewhere you don't have to come to our church we go to a church you know it was good it made a big influence on that road uh, uh george smith road i believe is the name of the road up there and he was just and they still do it he didn't have to do that he's a doctor he he can hire somebody to go do it but he does it and he goes and he reminds them you know where should where are you going to hear the voice of god probably not in your house smoking weed maybe you should go to church <laughs> and he'll tell them he's a good neighbor i appreciate dr barry that's a freebie. You can you can take that one and use it all, however you want. Okay, reach your neighbor, fifteen three. <laughs> oh man, it's the medicine, man. I took the medicine; it's got me down. She'll be back Monday. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. This is not an open forum, Audra. <laughs> Audra. <laughs> Okay, look at verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell upon me. Is every person, and this is what I'm saying with Dr. Barry, is every person that you're going to talk to about the gospel, are they going to receive the gospel? Are you going to get some that are going to reject the gospel? Are you going to get some that are going to mock you and send you away? Not as much here as in some places, you know, you go to a city or, um, or particularly in an inner city a lot of times, you're really going to face a lot more rejection. You will hear people seem to be more. They're going to at least be patient with you and listen to you here before they mock you and run you off. But in general, they'll hear you, right? But that was the example Christ gave us. But what Christ did in the, in the offering of the sharing the gospel, All the time in every place that he went, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then by giving the parables, though it didn't save his life, it changed the minds of the people over time. We all want to see the person. We want to give them the gospel we're going to present the gospel to them like somebody gave it to us when we were in kindergarten in church, and we were like, oh, that sounds great, and I, I want to be saved. And then we want to we see that in them, and we want to see them explode into new life, and we want to see them grow spiritually. It's very exciting to see for sure. But a vast majority of the people uh, hear the word. You're a seed planter. You cast the seed. They hear the word, but it doesn't take root immediately. Jesus went to the all the people around there, Casting the seed, casting the seed, telling the parables, um, you know, telling them what they needed for eternal life, and very few were at 120 by the Book of Acts. 120 people, out of thousands of people that he spoke to in large groups, out of the three thousand and the five thousand that he he changed the the you know the bread and the fish and and those kind of things. Out of all those thousands of people, 120, but. The influence was much greater. They heard the word, and they saw that they were enslaved to the Pharisees. They were enslaved to the Romans spiritually, physically. They were enslaved spiritually to the Pharisees, enslaved uh, materially, physically to the Romans. And they're like, I think Jesus was right. It took a second. So when Peter comes back and gives it to them again, they're like, man, I wish I have grabbed that the first time. And they're more ready to receive it. Um, Acts 2.43 it said in fear or awe came upon every soul praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily like uh, those who are being saved. The growth of the believing church uh, is like a whirlpool and it's got this tight pivot in the middle that's drawing right and people are coming by in the boat and it's getting on the outside it takes them a second to get you know, sucked into the whirlpool or into the wind to be drawn into the flow. The growth of the believing church was very small at first. And many were on the outside kind of observing and saying, is this thing real? Remember Gamaliel said, well, there was other guys that came before him. If he is the Messiah, we'll know. Because these other guys that came and said they were the Messiah, their thing died out like this. So if he's the Messiah, we're going to know because we're going to see people changed, and we're going to see people follow him. And they did. And when they did, they ditched the old way of servitude to the law, and they accepted the gospel of freedom, which Christ gave. So what should we use to reach the lost? How do we, what is the best tool that any person can use to reach the lost? Verse 4, whatever things were written before were written for our learning. That we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. (laughs) What do you use to reach the lost? We like to use uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? Gave his only begotten son. According to this, we use the Old Testament. The best way to reach the lost, you may agree or disagree with me on this, but I'm going to tell you. I can't give you the good news without giving you the bad news. If I give you the good news without the bad news, you won't even know what you were saved from. But if I give you the bad news, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Ten Commandments, that is, you've blasphemed the name of God, and you're in a lying, adulterer, backbiting, greedy, covetous... um, whatever, murderer, did I already mention that one? Whatever, all those things, that's what you are. And the Lord said that if you break one aspect, the tiniest part, if you've ever done any of that, then you've broken the whole law and you're worthy only of hellfire and separation eternally from God. Now, do you want to hear the good news? If I don't give them the bad news first, what are they being saved from? Your life will be better. My life's pretty good now. Well, I need something better. God loves you. Well, that's good. He should love me. I'm a great person. I'm real lovable. That's what we think. We're so prideful. We need, we need to be revealed to us what we are. And then we can go to Romans 5.8. God demonstrated his own love towards us, and yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If we don't know we're a sinner, what do we need Christ for? And we're so well off in our country today, we don't hardly need him anyway. We, like I said, we got Walmart. What do we need Christ for? If, we got, if I get sick, I can just go to the doctor. I got money. If I get a flat tire, I'll go get a tire. Right? But ask the guy in Peru, ask that little black boy right there if he needs the Messiah. Because he doesn't have anything. And he will rejoice and be exceedingly glad knowing that his reward is in heaven because he has nothing on earth. But he has everything in eternity, and he gives him hope. And we have it all on earth, and it really blinds our eyes to what we really need that's in eternity. Scary. And so for us, we need to hear that, and we need to use God's word carefully. He says it was the law was a tutor that brought me to Christ. That's what Paul said. Without the law, I would have never known that my issue was covetousness. That's what Paul said. I didn't know I thought I was doing all this stuff so good I was the Pharisee of the Pharisees the the guy that was my teacher was Gamaliel the very top dog Pharisee guy he was the best teacher and he was my teacher he had the entire Old Testament memorized I got like eight verses memorized the entire Old Testament think about that and he could go anywhere he wanted in his mind and, and pick up anywhere and, and just read it to you word for word. But what he didn't know was that he was lost. Until something like scales fell from his eyes when it was revealed to him that he was a persecutor and an insolent man and a blasphemer. That's what he said of himself. And I was the same way, and so are you. We can look really good on the outside and inside, be very broken. And so we use God's word, whatever things were written before. So we think of Romans and we think of the Bible as we have the Bible today. But they didn't have that. The only thing they had was the Torah, the first five books, maybe the Tanakh, maybe the rest of the books there, the prophets, maybe the Psalms. But in any of those books, you pick a book in the Bible, pick any book. I don't, Job, well, you find one that's negative, Job, Lamentation. You can still find the gospel in there. That God loves and makes a way for the sinner to be saved. But that a man is naturally an enemy of God, and without God, there is no hope of his restoration to God. And so he made a mediator for man. You can find it, it's all over the Old Testament. The mediator, uh, Moses was a mediator between God and man, he was a Messiah figure. David was a mediator between God and man, he was a Messiah figure. Joseph, a mediator between God and man, a Messiah figure. Adam, same thing. Enoch, another one. Methuselah, another. it's all over the Bible. So just pick one and recognize that God sent a messenger for you to receive the gospel. That's what we got to do with people. we got to take them back to the Ten Commandments. That's a good way to use the tutor of the law to draw them to Christ and show them their need for the gospel. And you can do it. You can do it. Somebody gave it to you. Whatever things were written before. So um, we say, well, how can I learn these things? I tell Andrew, Andrew's a relatively young believer, growing spiritually, going to seminary now. He's a good, good example to us. The best way I can learn about God, i got a couple ways. I can read the Bible for myself, that's good. I can listen to solid preaching, got to be careful on that. Not everybody's the best preacher ever. I can... Pray, and look for His responses to His uh, to my prayers. But probably the most key one, if I had to take them all, it starts with reading the Word for myself, and not just reading the New Testament. If I just read the New Testament, this one guy called the Jewish man he called it the amputated Bible. I used to print a lot of New Testament Bibles. Don't see it as much now. But the Bible is the only the Bible when it's the complete Bible. I need the Old Testament. The New Testament is just the commentary on the Old Testament. Look what the New Testament says. It quotes the Old Testament. This is what it means. Oh, okay, I wasn't clear on that. Now I know. Right? That's what Jesus said, the Ten Commandments. In Matthew 5 and 6, he's just going back through the Ten Commandments and say, you say that you've never committed adultery, but I say if you've looked at a woman with lust in your eyes, that's the same as committing adultery in your heart. And you're like, oh, maybe I broke that commandment. They didn't know before. You say that you're not a murderer. I say, if you speak to another one, call another raka, you call one a fool, you have murderous thoughts in your mind that's the same as committing murder with your hands, and I say, you're lost. And they're like, oh, I better check that one off. I did that one too this morning on the way in on my camel, and some other guy cut me off. <laughs> and I call him raka. I got to get it right. The law is the tutor. It teaches us what we need to know about the gospel. Now, verse 5. Now may the God of patience, man, thank God for his patience, and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus. In verse 6, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another just as Christ has received us to the glory of God. <coughs> Excuse me. The church of believers goes astray when their focus moves from the glorification of God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, and it shifts to the care of the individual person in the fellowship. I'm not talking about widows and orphans in their, in their affliction. I'm not talking about the poor, the lost, or the helpless. I'm talking about you. You're doing just fine and you try to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and the glory and honor due to the Father, and you try to turn it back, I, I say you, us, yunzes, all y'all, including me, when we take the glory of God and we try to turn it back on ourselves and we try to make the fellowship a thing where the fellowship itself becomes the, the deity inside the church. I mean, churches can become that way. There's monuments all over Europe of these beautiful um, cathedrals with stained glass and so on, the monument itself, the church itself, became the idol. It became much higher than God. The stained glass, the nice roof, the high spires and all those things, the good sound of the choir, the pipe organ, it became higher than the God that they purported to worship. And they spent all their wealth, and now the building's empty. And it stands as a testament that the idol was just an idol. It's an empty building. There's no believers in there. They can't afford to keep it open. They have to give it to the state, and hopefully the state doesn't destroy it. It's not the building. It's the people of God that make up the body of Christ, that put the worship towards the Father and towards his Son, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak into them and flow out of them as they go out the door into the world and pour out of the innermost man. These rivers of living water that drip off on everybody as we go about the way and they, they run off on them, and those people are, are saved. Our nature, it just naturally reverts or it induces us to transfer this glory due to God back to ourselves. This is what we do. Um, so we always want what our needs, our desires, our wants are. I was reading, like I said, I was reading uh, Isaiah. I was really prompted to read through Isaiah yesterday i made it to chapter 30 it's a it's very wordy and it's very you i dare you go back and read isaiah one through four that's all i'm saying with well, chapter one through chapter four and if you can't see the united states of america in that it, you're blind that's where we are we have the picture we have the idea of worship but in performance it's a utter failure he says, I don't care about your burnt offerings. I don't care about them. They don't, they're don't. they meaningless because your heart is wrong. I want your heart. Give me your heart. Get your heart right. I'll take the offering if you want to give an offering. We say, we, we think, you know, so I'm sure, we're not big on taking up offerings. We do have an offering box there. Any money that comes in, I'm not paid as the pastor. You know that probably. Maybe you don't know that. I'm not paid. No one's paid here. So it gives us a lot of freedom to use that to do ministries all over the world and in Cumberland County. You guys ministered in more ways than you know this week through the offerings that were given in benevolence and other things this week. The offering itself can become an idol to a person that thinks, well, I gave this much. God must be very appreciative of what I did. He don't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He don't need you. He loves you, but he don't need you. It's like a 2-year-old child talking about contributing to the household income in your house. It's like, "Man, all you do is take and make a mess. You're not contributing. That's us." He don't need us, but he loves us and he's willing to use us. But we're very arrogant, sir. We're very arrogant servants and children. But when the believer begins to focus completely on God and his will, That man's work and that man's will will begin to testify of his worship of who God is. And I think that is the key thing. You'll begin to care more, desire more to care for, your will will change for the unborn child, um, the woman that's, you know, in a a so-called unwanted pregnancy or rejected by her husband. You will begin to care more and you'll probably end up ostracized or jailed for your care and service to that woman or to that baby truly, and you will care to preach to the lost, and you'll be willing to be shamed or ignored or mocked for your witness, and you will seek out the orphan in their distress, and you'll desire to care for them, and you'll see the government constraints come against you to keep you from adopting and make it harder and harder for a Christian to adopt than a transgender person. That's where we're at right now, but you'll be willing to do it because it's your calling, because that's how you've been called as a believer in your spiritual giftedness. That's how you will do it will change how you are. Verse 6, you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The things that used to come from your mouth will change no longer when your spirit is right, when your heart is right before God. No longer will you say the things, think the things, and do the things that were so selfish and whatever, myopic in the past. And now it will. your focus will change from you to the one who does, who's worthy to be praised, who's worthy to be honored. So you will be despised and rejected by men because of your love for God, because it will be demonstrated by your works. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, right? washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit, that is true. But the believer that has no works, that has no visible outpouring of the change that's been done to him needs to really check himself and see if he's of the faith. Examine yourself. That's what the Bible says. Examine yourself. See if you're of the faith. If I have no desire to serve others more highly than myself, <clears throat> I have no patience with the lost, I have no mercy towards those that are, that are in, in need of mercy, man, examine yourself. You could just be off track. You could just be backslidden. But examine yourself and make sure. That directive from Paul is no different from the one the Messiah gave himself or would have been, and that is having this mind of Christ that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I could go back to John 17 right there, and you see how Jesus prays that you, that they would be one with me as you and I are one, Jesus talking to the Father. I want them to be one with myself, Messiah, with the Father. And when we have that, we have a whole different looking fellowship anywhere. It's, it's got to be possible to do. It ain't easy, but it's got to be possible or Christ wouldn't have told us we could do it. Man, I'm sorry, we have gone long. That's my fault. So the church operating in the mind of Christ, it looks a lot more appealing to the lost, broken, hurting, and so on when we use the Messiah's unselfish view of himself for ourselves. When we use that, and remember, Messiah allowed them up to the abuse and destruction of his body personal, everything up to that point. The only thing he didn't commend to other men was his spirit. He commended that to God. And we're to do the same. And when we do that, we'll have a different look in the, in the church and in the world. We can't trick people into salvation. We can't trick them into the gospel we got to give it to them straight. We can't trick them into, you know, with the bounce houses and smoke machines. and all. It's not going to work. It's not going to hold them in the days of trial. It says Romans fourteen ten through 13, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fail in our brother's way. There's a lot going on in those few verses, but they all, they kind of speak for themselves there. We're all judged individually. It's not our place to assume that another person is saved or not. We're to give the gospel to all creation, preach the gospel to all creation. Um, We're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That's Philippians 2.12. That's just an ongoing work, taking something to fulfillment or completion. That's all it is. We keep working on that, We keep maintaining the individual mind and mouth that glorifies God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship completely changes. The believing body of Christ should be seen as a place of receiving other believers, first of all, primarily. Unbelievers can come into the fellowship. They can hear the gospel, yes, in the fellowship. But generally, the fellowship is for believers, And in time, an unbeliever comes here and there. Yes, they hear the gospel. Maybe they're saved. Maybe they're not. The unbeliever cannot have a position of leadership in a believing church. He just can't. Sorry. You don't like it. Take it up with Paul. And then you can take it up with Christ because he said it first. But we're the fellowship, the fellowship of believers. So he can come. He just can't have leadership. He's going to have to sit there and hear the word. But faith comes by hearing. So. We've got to be merciful to one another, to our fallen brothers and sisters inside the fellowship. It's going to overflow onto our neighbors because they're going to see the change in us. We won't have to go to the garage to fight anymore. They can listen through the walls and see that the change has come upon both people and the hearts are changed. And they'll say, well, that's a different man than I knew a year ago. Because a year ago, he'd have been tearing up Job in there. And now he's peaceable with his wife, treating her as the weaker vessel. That woman is a different woman than a year ago. Now she's a humble servant of her husband and not domineering, not screaming at him and hitting him with stuff, right? It's a, it's a different view. The world says, well, that, that ain't going to work. That's ridiculous. We can't live that way. There's no way I'm going to bow the knee. Well, when the person's heart is changed, it's changed. It's going to make a huge difference in the home and people are going to see it. So the goal of teaching new believers is that they would receive the word, grow spiritually, and then out of them would grow this living water that's going to fall on others as we go out and we'll see the community change. So I don't want to go any further because I know we've gone long. I'm sorry about that. This is the last thing I'll tell you. The thing that's going on here in Romans, and we can start here next week, the thing that's going on is Paul never called these people to become Paul. He wants... I want, the Lord wants, the word says, I want you, God wants you to use the spiritual gift that you have to your utmost fulfillment in that gift. Not everyone's a preacher, not everyone's a a top-notch evangelist. (coughs) That's why there's this list of spiritual gifts there. It goes back to that Matthew 17, 7 through 10, talking about the slave who worked a hard day and the master did too. The slave doesn't get to come back And tell the master, well, I'm too tired to cook you dinner. He's got to cook the dinner first. In fact, Jesus said, does the master thank the servant for cooking his dinner? And Jesus says, I think not. We've done what our duty is to do. That's what we do. What we say is, I only want to serve as I feel led. Well, I never feel led because I'm lazy. I can always overpower the part of whether or not I feel led, right? Well, I don't really feel led. I'm supposed to give this girl the gospel, right? now, man, I'm tired and got stuff going on. I don't feel led, right? you're the servant man give her the gospel whatever your spiritual gift is use it to its fullness within the fellowship and it's going to have this outpouring effect on other believers who are going to use theirs serving hospitality administration healing tongues signs and wonders whatever you pick the one you don't get to pick god picks but whatever it is use it to its fullness and the fellowship will be developed more fully because of it okay I am confident, Romans 15, 14, concerning you, my brethren and sistrens, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. You're full, filled, and able. And it's no less true in the body of Christ today than it was in the book of Romans, than it was in the book of Acts. And it all depends on you, using your spiritual giftedness within the body speaking to your neighbor, loving others as you would like to be loved, showing mercy, long-suffering towards others, the Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit. And what we'll see is an increase in believers, a change of culture, and just a, a different nation, if we can put it to work. All right. Forgive me for the disjointedness of that. I blame it on the mucinex. But I do pray that the word that was spoken was the word that the Lord had for us today. I pray that you receive it in the nature that it was given and the voice it was given. I'm grateful that you came. I'm glad that you heard the word of God today and I pray that you receive it and it goes down into the innermost part of who you are and that you dwell on it, but that you don't keep it there, but that you're willing to let it come back out of you as you tell another the hope that you have within you. If you have anything you'd like to pray about this morning, I can. we can pray for healing, we can pray for. Um, A lack of faithfulness Uh, Whatever you got going on in your life I'll wait and pray with you I'll be glad to We got other people that will pray with you in these things Yes dear I
0: have a sister that has stage 3 liver uh,
1: kidney cancer Okay I
0: took out a a kidney uh, two months ago She's not doing so well I'd like for you to pray for her Okay
1: what's her name hon Her name's Liz Liz okay There's one That's confidence Come here not so confident Kurt Well, you You got one Andrea, job. I can just see Andrea being that way. She's so gentle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're going to hear from on high. I'm talk- Tell me this name again. Liz. Okay. Well, you can come, come as well if you would like to, and talk to me afterwards as well. All right, let's pray together. I'll wait for you up here. We got time to pray, and and we got all day. We need to deal with it while we're in the presence of the Lord and in his house, okay? Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you, and we thank you for the word that was spoken. I pray it was the word you had for us today. Forgive us, Lord, for being broken vessels, but using us anyway. Thank you, Lord. You're so good to us. Father, we do want to pray for Liz this morning. Um, You know the health thing she's got going on. Um, Have mercy there, Lord. I pray for limited pain. I pray that her mind is right, Lord, that her heart is stayed upon thee and that, you, that she knows where she's going on the day that she passes from this life to, to eternity, Lord, that she knows that she can be safely in the arms of you because she's heard the gospel, Lord, and received it as her own. Father, you say if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. And it's a promise that you will do, and you will do all the work, Lord. We will just confess and believe. I pray that she's confessed and believed in the past. If not, Lord, I pray for a believer soon to go to her, Lord, while there's still time. Father, I see Brother Stan here. I pray for him and the health issues he's got going on. Lord, I pray that, you, that he remains faithful until the end, Lord. I know that you are faithful, and I know that you are long-suffering towards us, and I know that you have been good to stand thus far. So I pray for relief from suffering and pain, Lord. I pray that he's got a strong endurance of faith to get to the end, Lord, however you choose to do that for him. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness towards us. I pray for Andrea now as she has these this job issue with her, her bosses or cohorts or whatever's going on there, Lord. I know that you are in control and you are over all things, and you are willing to intercede on the behalf of your people who call upon your name in faith. So in faith, Lord, we call to you and ask that you would intercede here for Andrea and do whatever it is needs to be done to correct that situation. Have mercy there, Lord. May her witness be strong in the, in, the, in the work that she does, Lord. May they know that she's a good woman. You said that a man who does well at his work will stand before kings and not be ashamed, Lord, I pray. I know she's that kind of woman. So she stands there, Lord, I pray that her witness will be complete as she stands before those people. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. Thank you for these that came this morning. They could have been somewhere else but they chose to be here, Lord. I pray you bless them for that, that their desire was to be in the presence of the Lord on this day. Forgive us for where we fall short, Lord. Keep us until that day, in Jesus' name, amen.